Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is I Have Loved You by Pastor Sean Wood. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we pray this morning. As we've heard in the music, through communion, Lord, we know that you love us and we are so thankful to sit under friendly skies, underneath a God who loves us. I pray today, before we go any further, that you would use me as an instrument to expose the wonderful love of God. Thank you, Father, that you love us. May we see that more today as we come around your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, or your devices, or you've memorised the whole lot, whatever... Whichever bracket you fall into this morning, uh, turn to the last book of the Old Testament, if you will, the book of Malachi. Uh, If you're from Hobart in Tasmania, you're probably looking for Malachi. It's right at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, there are some good things about Hobart, particularly the road leading north for those that have ever been. Uh, as you're making your way to the book of Malachi, why Malachi and, and why now? What I love about scripture is often, as the writer to Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. And as we approach the book of Malachi and as we begin to understand the context uh, that brings us to the book of Malachi, I wonder whether there is anything new under the sun today. But God's got a wonderful message, I believe, from the prophet Malachi uh, to the people of Israel, but for us today as well. There is a wonderful message. Uh, If you could sum the book of Malachi up, and we'll work our way through this as we do. But if you could sum it up in one sentence, that sentence would be, return to the Lord. Amalekai will sound a trumpet to the people of God, and he will ask them to return to the Lord. But why would he say that? What's the context? What's going on? And by the way, who is this illustrious Malachi? Let's see if we can answer a few of those questions. Uh, Where we find ourselves in the historical narrative of Israel, uh, we find ourselves around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, The the walls have been rebuilt, the temple has been rebuilt, and the exiled uh, people of God have returned some hundred years almost that they've been back in the land. And it turns out that the things haven't quite gone how they may have expected. Uh, They're back in the land and and, and they're combing through the prophecies of Isaiah and Haggai and they're wandering through the promises of God going, this is not how we expected things to unfold. Uh, They have questioned God in the past uh, concerning how could this all-powerful, all-knowing God let us go into exile. Here's a confronting truth this morning. God not only let them go into exile, he orchestrated it. And everyone says, say amen, pastor, let's go have coffee, let's go home, that's enough for us today. (laughs) If you read through Ezra and Nehemiah, some very profound things happen. There's, There's a Persian king by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus bends his heart towards the people of God and provides... Uh, for them to go and rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls. But interestingly enough, uh, there's strong evidence that the Jews come to Cyrus and they say, hey, by the way, <laughs> some couple of hundred years before you were born, your name was in the book. And Cyrus, hang on, God's been talking. 
the prophet Isaiah had named him well before. The time of exile was the, in so many ways, was one of the most blessed times for Israel because while they were in exile, they learnt to worship God despite the circumstances around them. And for those, uh, for the two or three people that managed to endure the pastor's comments this morning, you may have struck a quote there which highlights something very wonderful. We can fall into the trap today of defining God according to our circumstances. And so we, we define God's love by whether things are going well or how it's perceived to go well or, or whether things are going bad. We kind of define God's love and that's where Israel has begun to drift. They, they're looking at everything on the outside going, you know what, our circumstances aren't quite what we expected. Where's the bed of roses, God? Where's all this that you've promised us? Their expectations were out of line of what God had promised, but the reality is they had defined God according to their circumstances. Scripture demands that we define our circumstances according to the awesome God that we serve. And there were people that did that. There was guys by the name of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It's not Abednego, it's a place in Victoria. Abednego. (laughs) These four guys. And by the way, it says that Daniel was placed in charge of the chief eunuch. Might tell you a little bit about... Daniel's predicament. By the time Daniel reaches Babylon, he's at best 16 years of age. We need more young men like Daniel. We have some. But Daniel had resolved, you know what? I'm in Babylon. I'm in the king's court here. Some very nasty physical things have happened to me, if you know what a eunuch was in ancient times. Some very nasty things have happened to me physically. My life's not kind of worked out how I had it planned. If you get to Ezekiel, he was supposed to be in line for the priesthood. Things weren't quite working out how he had shaped and planned it. But what they decide is, you know what? My circumstances don't define my God. My God defines my circumstances. Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king of Babylon, is the only recorded pagan king to acknowledge God. You had to eat grass for a little while, if you've read the story. You had to go out like an ox and eat grass for a little while. But he looked up and acknowledged God. Changed their situation. And now we find that the Jews have come back, uh, but uh, they have begun to become apathetic towards God. God is a yawn factor to them. God, this is not what we signed up for. They've become dry and barren and, and we will find as we work our way through the book of Malachi, we will find that uh, God is going to probe our hearts. Everybody knows the book of Malachi because we read the tithing verses, right? Uh, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. You'll be pleased to know when we get to chapter 3, uh, I'm not taking up a special offering and that chapter's got nothing to do with money. You'll be pleased to know that next week when we begin working through chapter 1 and it's talking about worship and sacrifices, it's got nothing to do with church. Malachi is the only time in history where God, we'll get to this next week, where God says, shut the doors of the temple. Shut church. What I love and what is revealed through Malachi is God always has men and women through history that walk with him despite the context of the culture behind them. 
Uh, we don't know biographically from scripture. We don't know a lot about Malachi, but Jewish tra- tradition reveals that uh, Malachi, Zechariah and Haggai were three guys that formed what they call the Great Synagogue. And the Great Synagogue was a, a, a band of believers that just said, you know what, we're going to uphold our faith in God. We're going to uphold worship how God had intended. And it is said of Malachi and Haggai and Zechariah, all Jewish tradition says, when these three men died, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel. We need more men like that. In fact, God will not speak for some 400 years until John the Baptist comes on the scene. John the Baptist is spoken about and and so what we find amongst them is we find at this time everything's a hot mess. Uh, the, The two institutions, the government and the church, if you like, were not only corrupt but in many ways inept. We will see, uh, although they are back in Jerusalem, that they are still oppressively under the regime of the Persian governors that were ruling them. Uh, the economy is shot. Inflation is through the roof. We will see all of those things as we work our way through the book of Malachi. But against that context, Malachi would reach into that moment and say, return to the Lord. But I wonder how far that is from us today. I see the news headlines the same as everybody else. And what I love about the book of Malachi, what I love about scripture in general is God never asks us to be focused on political institutions and regimes. God asks us to be focused here. There will always be corruption while we are in a fallen world. But we know the one true God and there is hope. There is hope for post-exile Israel and there is hope for us. Let's work our way through. Let's begin with Malachi or Malachi for our liberal theologians this morning. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 1, the oracle or the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I love that. Uh, The word oracle... Uh, is uh, far more than just, I've got a word from the Lord. There were moments uh, throughout Israel's history where that happened. And, and you can read that sometimes uh, it even happened to most unsuspecting people. Uh, uh, King Saul uh, was a man whose heart was far from God. But we read that when he was around the prophets, he began to prophesy. Uh, one night he took his clothes off and prophesied all night. You are not allowed to do that in the house of God anymore. Uh, You can prophesy all night, but you must remain dressed, please, in the name of Jesus. But what we do know is this is far more than that. An oracle was a weight. It was a burden. Jeremiah had a weight and he would say it like this. He would say, your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. I have to let it out. And so Malachi, viewing the spiritual condition of the people, that's all Malachi is concerned with here. He's not concerned with correcting governmental corruption. That's not what he's concerned with. He will speak to the leaders of the church and the leadership of the temple and the priests. He will speak into that. But the matter is far deeper than just that. And to all the people of Israel, he says, return to the Lord. He's going to begin with why. And then he's going to go on to how. What is the motivation? Why would we return? Why would you serve and walk with God today? You're asking really good questions this morning. Let's keep moving our way through. I love how this is the word to Israel and not against them. This morning is not a word against God's people. It is a urgency. It's an encouragement to return to the Lord. 
the Lord is waiting for us to want him. And uh, let's dive into verse 2. There are some very confronting verses as we work our way through. Verse 2, I have loved you. God starts with his love. Uh, We sang about it this morning, uh, God's reckless love. And if you've read the parable of the prodigal son, I wonder whether we should name that the parable of the prodigal God, the God who abandoned himself to lavish his love on us. This is the message to Israel, I have loved you. How, how, How do we define God's love? We're going to work our way through that in greater depth in a moment, but how do we define God's love? God's love is firstly unconditional. That's going to become really important in a moment. What do I mean by God's love is unconditional? Uh, for those here that may know portions of my story, there was a moment in my story and in my life where I became a ward of the state and, and I love my mother. She did the best with the skills and everything that she had at the time. I love her and honour her for her deposit into my life and, and I became a ward of the state and I got into the foster system and uh, I, I went through a heap of houses and I found myself into the house of an angel, it convinced me that angels still walk this planet. And I had only been there for 24 hours, but I felt like I belonged. And everybody spoke to me and treated me the same as everybody else. I was respected and loved and wanted like everybody else. And after 24 hours, I said, listen, I said, I've only been here for five minutes. Up until that point in my life, I had never known unconditional love. I had never known a scenario where we will love you and you don't have to meet preconceived conditions. And over a period of time and through the ministry of that lovely lady, I was confronted with a universal, unconditional love. Where God says, you don't have to meet conditions today. You might be sitting here going, how could God love me? I, I, I don't have any skills, I don't have any abilities. Well, you do. Uh, God's gifted everybody with something to, to, to give out to other people. But, but you know, I, I've done a lot of wrong things in my past. We're going to meet some pretty wrong dudes. In fact, if you want to take a journey through Scripture, let me just be frank today. The, the Bible is full of adultery, murder, lying and stealing. But it's also the wonderful story of God's grace that transforms hearts and God uses broken vessels. So if you're sitting here this morning going, well, you know what, I, I, I haven't learned or memorized any scripture, I haven't done any religious courses, I, I haven't taken, I haven't done any certain baptisms. What about the thief on the cross this morning? Yes. I wonder what he would, how did that work out for that guy? I love how Alistair Begg unpacks this. Uh, imagine being that guy when he gets into heaven and he, he gets there and everybody, the angels are going through the roll call and they say, how did you get here? And he says, well, well, well I don't know. Oh, and they go, well, hang on a second. Before we go any further, let's get a few things straight. Where are you on the doctrine of justification? <laughs> and he's like, well, well how, much, how, how much of the scripture have you memorised? He says, well, well, and eventually... The angel goes, what are you doing here? And he would say, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Unconditional love. What conditions did the thief meet before? He met none. God's love is unconditional. It is sovereign, which means he gives his love as he wills. And it's everlasting. 
I've got some great news for you today. If you are breathing oxygen, you are under God's love. We live under friendly skies. Why would we return to the Lord? We're going to unpack this more and, and what this looks like for us. But why would we return to the Lord? Because he loves us. He has always loved us. That's the message to Israel. Israel thinks God has left them. God has failed them. And, and that's where they're at. They're sceptical. They're sceptical of God's love. They're sceptical of his promises. They're sceptical of leadership that has caused this apathetic response to God. They are distant from God. They go through the motions, though. We're going to see, as we work our way through the first chapter, they're going through the motions. They're, they're bringing their sacrifices to the temple, but there's no heart there. God says, I have loved you. And in a beautiful rhetoric, now we're going to see uh, Malachi answers for them. They say, how have you loved us? There's the scepticism. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? And they're questioning in their hearts God's love. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe, maybe you've never surrendered to Christ and you're thinking, how in all the chaos we see in the world, how could God possibly love us? And, and, and so we must move beyond our circumstances and allow God to define our circumstances. God upholds us and God chases us. I want you to know this morning, God wants you. If you've been serving Christ for 20 years or, or you've only ever, this is your first 20 minutes in church, I want you to know God wants you. And we will see God moved first. Biblical love is always first. But how have you loved us? Maybe you've had some challenges in your life. Maybe you've gone through some things in your life and you're saying, well, how has God loved me? Our circumstances don't mean that God's left us. It doesn't mean that he's abandoned us means he's with them in us. God would go on and say, this is a really important message to Israel at this time. But what we will see is, it's a confronting verse. I want to ask a question once I read through it. Uh, Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Well, good morning to you too, Pastor. And when you hear that verse, I want to ask you a question. Just answer this in your own heart. Is your first response to say, that is so unjust? Or is your first response to say, I am so undeserving? Let's unpack the story here. This is not the first time, it's not the last time this this verse would be quoted. In fact, Paul will quote it in Romans chapter 9. It means a very similar thing there that it does here. What God wants to highlight by contrast, he's using Esau and Jacob as a contrast to highlight his love and what that looks like for Israel, but even what that looks like for us this morning. Let's, as we work our way through, let's ask ourselves the question first, who's Jacob and who's Esau? What I love about the Genesis narrative, for those that have read it, if you read your way through the book of Genesis, first 11 chapters, there's some floods going on, there's some weird stuff going on, people trying to build a tower, you know, not Trump, but 
people trying to build a tower. Uh, similar kind of pride, but not, not Donald then. But uh, what happens in the redemptive narrative is something very powerful happens. After chapter 11, God's plan of redemption moves from a global perspective to an individual perspective. And we are introduced to Abraham. He starts out as Abram. And then we get God's redemptive plan working through the people of Israel. And so we start off, we learn a lot about Abraham and Isaac, the promised child of Abraham. And then Isaac has two twins. Now, I have twin boys, so that usually means trouble. And uh, two twin boys named Esau and Jacob. What is told to us about these two boys before, what we learn about them is while they were in the womb, before they had done anything good or bad, God had determined to set his love and affection on Jacob. Now, he hasn't rejected Esau. We'll we'll get to that in a moment. We'll work through that narrative. If you read the story, Esau does all right for himself. If you read the whole story. But what happens is the two boys are born. Esau comes out first. Why is that important? In the patriarch ancient times, it was the eldest son that should have inherited the blessing. He was the first in line. He should have inherited the blessing. Uh, It was all by lineage. But God jumps Esau and gives the blessing to Jacob. A few things we need to know about Esau. Esau sells his birthright, don't forget, for a pot of stew. Now, if it had been a bowl of trifle, I might have understood. But he gives up his birthright for a pot of stew. He had complete contempt for the things of God the whole time. Now, uh, as we work our way through, we'll unpack that word hate in a moment because it sounds confronting, but we'll get to that one in a moment. But Esau and Jacob grow, and we know that Jacob is known as, his, his very name means deceiver and swindler. And so he deceives his dad Isaac when his eyes are dim. He, he deceives him and he takes the blessing. Uh, Jacob, by the time he gets to the end of his life, uh, for those that know his story, Jacob is standing before Pharaoh and here's what Jacob says. My days have been long and hard, but God has always been my shepherd. But what he uses there is a word called Jehovah or Yahweh. The Lord has always been my shepherd, the personal God. God's not a million miles away. Jacob would say God is right here. But Jacob knew some troubling times. He goes and works seven years for his beloved Rachel and is swindled by his to-be father-in-law Laban And after that, he works another seven years to get righteous. He worked 14 years. Then the barn still tries to swindle him and keep him, and he he manages to run away. And and just when Jacob's life is getting back on track, and so to speak, and yes, Lord, you're my God, and I'm going to go back to Bethel and, and erect the altar and do all those sorts of things, awesome, great, and wonderful. But between where Jacob was and where he's going is Esau. So he knew some challenges in his life and he thinks Esau wants to kill him so he sends off all these gifts and eventually we read that it's okay. That there's reconciliation between the brothers and the Jacob says, you know what, I've had a long, hard, challenging life but the Lord has always been my shepherd. And so we know that through Jacob we have the 12 tribes of Israel. There is formed the nation of Israel. Uh, some 70 come to Egypt uh, under the protection of the then Pharaoh. Uh, they flourish into their hundreds of thousands before Moses arrives and there the story takes on a different course. And the whole while Esau 
grows up and has contempt for the things of God. We see that in the way that he lives, but he's quite blessed. If you read about Esau's life, in a lot of ways he's blessed. As C.S. Lewis highlights, and one thing that is very important when we read this verse, nothing in Scripture is told to us about Esau's eternity. And the reason we cry out unjust is because it, sometimes it paints a picture that God pulls some strings and neglects others. That's not the conversation God wants to have with this verse. That's not what God means here. What God means and what he wants to emphasise is his great love for Israel and what that means. The word hate here means uh, doesn't mean to reject or to cast away, as we may think of hate, but it means that it means to love less. Uh, Jesus uses a very similar word when he says, uh, for anybody who would come after me, unless they hate their father or their mother, Jesus, what are you possibly saying? What Jesus is saying is uh, there is a priority thing going on there, and here's what Jesus is saying. Uh, you have to place me above anything and everything else in this world. That's what it means. What God wants us to know in this language is, I set my love and affection, a preferential love on Jacob and so we see the redemptive plan of God but he sets his love he chooses Jacob and all of us are sitting here today going why would God choose Jacob great question that's what God wants us to ask Uh, a professor was teaching on the book of Malachi and one of the students after the class came running up and says I've got to tell you professor uh, I have a I have a real big problem and I really struggle with verse 3 where it says that Esau or I have hated. And the professor turned around and said, yes, I can see why you would say that. He says, but I have a greater struggle with verse 2 where it says, Jacob, I have loved. When you put Esau and Jacob next to each other, who out of them deserved God's love? None of them. If you look around the room today, who in this room deserves God's love? Who in this room has earned God's love? None of us. What God wants Israel to know is, you don't deserve my love, you don't deserve my affection, you don't deserve for me to form a covenantal relationship, you don't deserve that I would reach out to you, but I love you so much, I'm going to anyway. That's what he wants Israel to know, that's the truth God wants you to know today. He loves you so much, you might be sitting here going, I am unlovable. We are all unlovable on a spiritual level. We are all fall short of the glorious God's standard. Romans 3 verse 23, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard, but Jesus doesn't come to pull us down, he comes to lift us up. And what do we learn through Israel? What do we learn through the Pharisees? We learn that you you can keep all the rules and regulations you like, you can't save yourself. You will never put God in your debt. Esau, I don't care whether you're the firstborn. I don't care whether you should have got... What God wants everybody to know is it doesn't matter who your mum and dad is. It doesn't matter what country you're born in. It doesn't matter how gifted you may think you are. It doesn't matter if you grow up all your life in church. God has no grandparents today. 
I just want to make that clear. God only has children, no grandchildren. You have to make a decision for yourself. You can grow up in church, you can't save yourself, and none of us in this room ever deserved God to set his love and affection on us, but he does. And he does so that we will reciprocate that love. How have you loved us? If you look back, I remember, even in my own life, some years later I would look back and I, I would see the fingerprints of God all over my life. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience, but I look back over all the experiences. I look back at a time when I didn't know God. I look back at a time when I was in a family that was so far from God, you didn't even mention his name, or you're in trouble if you mentioned his name. I was so far from God, but my story is, even then I see the fingerprints of God, and there's been some challenging seasons in my life. I've been through some hurtful times, yes, but I see the fingerprints of God through all of those times, bringing myself to him, revealing his love for me, to me in greater measures, and he his love is what will melt our hearts. Why would we return to you, Lord? Why would we surrender our life to you? Why would we give our hearts to you? Because he loves us. I want you to know today that God loves you. You might be sitting here thinking you don't deserve it. Well, you don't. You're right. But God loves us anyway. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And, and what that looks like is, uh, in ancient times you read throughout the history of Israel, you read that God calls them his treasured possession. And what God wants Israel to know, and when we look at Jacob, we get a bit of a better understanding of what God means, but the treasured possession was the king's treasure. You see, throughout a kingdom in ancient times, uh, a kingdom might amass uh, a fair bit of treasure and a fair bit of wealth. And, and Israel did at the time of Hezekiah. You can read about King Hezekiah. They had enormous wealth. Uh, they had all of this treasure. Uh, King Hezekiah made a bit of a boo-boo, by the way. He took the Babylonians and showed them all of the treasure. Come and have a look at my treasure. Don't show people your treasure. But, but amongst all the treasure of the kingdom, uh, the king would then have what he would call his king's treasure or his treasured possession. That was the treasure that he would select out of all of the treasure and he would put that in his room close to him. It was under his guard. It was his most prized treasure. Uh, if If he was to take a bolt when you were uh, invading, he would take the king's treasure and he would run. It was his most prized treasure. He is what God wants everybody in this room to know today. You are his treasured possession. Israel, you are my treasured possession. I have kept you. I have protected you. I have brooded over you. I have kept your enemies away. Yes, you've gone into exile, but I was with you while you were there. Ezekiel has a vision of the presence and the glory of God in Babylon. Uh, First time we see it out of the temple, by the way. Out of the tabernacle. Even in exile, God says, I was right there and I loved you. Uh, I'm going to ask Stu if he can come and play. Maybe, maybe Reckless Love. We could finish with that, Stu, this morning. What a great song to choose for this morning. But I want to finish with a parable that Jesus told us. 
You can read these two parables, uh, and for the men that have come to the men's night, you've probably hit these parables, but I love them. Uh, Matthew 13, verses 44 and 45 have two parables. Uh, Short parables, but deeply profound. And in verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure in a field. And he buries the field, and in his great joy, it says, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Wow. The very next parable is about a merchant of pearls. And he's a pearl merchant, and he, in his travels, he finds one pearl of really great value. And it says he goes and sells all of those pearls to buy the one pearl. And often when we read those parables, and I love how the parables of Christ are multi-layered, and often when we read that, uh, we, we, we answer the question, what is the treasure? I want to ask you today, when you read those two parables, what is the treasure and what is the pearl? And many times when we read it, we say, well, Christ is the treasure. And upon great joy of finding him, we go and sell all that we have and and we give our lives to him. And that's a great, great way to look at that parable in many ways. And that's a beautiful application for our own lives. But there's a deeper truth that Jesus wants us to know because we have to answer the question, what did we have to sell that we could purchase Christ? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven will be like this. It'll be like a man who finds treasure in a field, buries the field, and in great joy goes and sells all that he has to buy the field and to redeem the treasure out of the field. Friends, we are the treasure in the parable. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven will be like God who gives everything he has in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us out world. The greatest need in Western culture today is for the people of God to return to the Lord. Church history over the last 2,000 years and biblical history will tell us that when God's people return to him, God moves in power. Nothing changes. Jesus, some Four to five hundred years later, by the time he comes, John the Baptist stands up and says, repent. He's telling everybody to turn to the Lord. You might be here today and you might say, you know what? Uh, I've never surrendered my heart to Christ. I want you to know today, it could be the day that you turn to the Lord. He loves you. He loves you. He wants you. And Jesus came to reconcile a relationship. Jesus doesn't come to rub our nose in our sins. He comes to elevate us and lift us up. When I read the book of Malachi, I was challenged. I don't know when I could read it and not be challenged, but I was challenged and maybe I need to return to the Lord. Maybe the fires have grown dim. There there was a time in my life when I had a very distorted view of what love looked like. Until I found Christ. And I had a greater understanding of what love looks like. And grace. This morning as Stu continues to play, I I ask the question, is today the day that you return to the Lord? 
It's today the day that you realise, you know what, God, things haven't always been perfect in my life and I've been, I've been through some challenges and I've kind of become lacklustre and, and I've drifted away and the fires have burnt down a little bit, but, but Lord, I want to return to you. Maybe today's the day that you return to the Lord. We want to make that space for you this morning. Uh, if you want us to pray with you, then the prayer team's here. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe today's the day when you say, you know what? I want to turn to Jesus. The reckless love of God, it hunts you down. He's like the hound of heaven. And you might feel like you're a million steps away from Jesus. I want you to know today, every single person on the planet is only ever one step away from Jesus. And that's the step where we turn around and turn back to him. Today could be the day that you return to the Lord. Today could be the day that you turn to the Lord. We're going to work our way through Malachi and see how it is that we can, but on the back of God's love and in response to his wondrous love today, will we return to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, truly you have loved us. And maybe in all of our hearts, there's been seasons in our life when we've questioned that love. Maybe we're in that season right now, but Lord, you have loved us. You will always love us. Thank you that you love us. Father, I pray that eyes would be open this morning to see, to know, and to experience the love of God. Jesus, this morning, with gratefulness in our heart, we remember the moment in time when you gave everything to buy us. Thank you that you treasure us. Your wonderful name, We pray this morning, let us. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.